0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists. Therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Open House podcast. I am so excited to be back for part two of this episode because part one of the abandonment wound blew the fuck up. I am back with Stephanie Therapy. She is the queen of the abandonment wound. She has helped so many people heal from this in her day-to-day practice that we decided we need to help you guys. We want to help hundreds of thousands of people with this. So this is part two of that episode. In part one, we spoke through what is the abandonment wound? How does it form? how does it show up so differently for so many of us? Stephanie really helped me understand that you can have gone through two totally different situations and have an abandonment wound that has shown up totally different to your best friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That part one of the episode was so important. We spoke about the overcompensator, the clingy partner, the I love you. I love you. I love you. Just stay with me. Like, please don't leave me. In part two, we're going to be looking at the other ways that this abandonment wound can show up. It can show up how you avoid intimacy altogether. It can show up when you counterattack, when you become vicious in interactions because you are so fearful that someone is going to leave. And you can also just surrender to this wound, picking people that repeatedly prove Your subconscious hypotheses about life, which is that everyone always leaves me. Now, Stephanie, over to you. Where do you want to go with part two today's episode on all the other ways that the abandonment wound can show up?
1: I just love, love, love these conversations because a lot of the time when I'm in session, And I'm having these conversations with my clients. I'm always doing it from a place of authority. So being on this level with you, Louise, as a professional and opening up this space for people to have insight into the whole healing process. It's not very often that people can afford to go on that journey. You know, people do not always have the finances to be able to go on that journey as much as they do. So some people get to a certain point and then they say, that's not for me. So you and I opening up this space is so important. I don't think people realize that this area, this program that we've created is essentially equivalent to a lot of therapy sessions and us reflecting on our own experiences and being able to offer this information to people. There are going to be people that have listened to that first episode and they say, I don't even know my story. I don't know who I am. They may have listened to other episodes with other professionals, conversations you've had, and they may start going, oh, it's so overwhelming. What do I do with all of this information? Sarah is telling me I need to be doing work on my physical. You know, Dr. Terry's telling me that I'm in the wrong relationship. Now Stephanie's telling me that it's all because of my mom. So we know that this information is quite overwhelming. And that's why this, process and this guide is so simplified. It's, let's look at your story. Do you have the abandonment wound? What are your behaviors saying? How do you heal it? And that's exactly what you've just said. People have listened and they've gone, that's me. I've pinpointed that abandonment wound. And they may go, I'm not the overcompensator. I don't do that. I don't get too close to people. I don't draw people in. I don't care about people. There is still an avenue for you to go down. There is still so much more for you to discover. And that's what we're going to do today. I think we go straight into surrendering to your abandonment wound when we think about surrendering we think about giving up surrendering to your wound is essentially saying I will be that wound I will have every single personality trait or my romantic relationships will represent this wound so we surrender to it that is what I see the most in my practice I see people who come to me and they say I've met this great guy and this has happened and that's happened and the relationship isn't going the way I want it to go. He doesn't want to commit to me. She doesn't want to commit to me. He's married. He said he's not happy with his wife and I've given him five years of my life that I want children and now I want to leave or whatever it looks like. You have literally chosen a person that allows you to recreate this cycle of abandonment. You close to them, you get intimate and then they pull away from you and then you start again and you keep going for people who do not permit to you or do not want a relationship. Now, I think what is so fascinating
0: here with the surrender is that it's very deeply tied to the work that we've done on the father wound, in my opinion. Obviously, you are the expert, so I'm going to hand this back over to you. And I want to ask if this actually is true. But for example, let's just take this back to basics perhaps you were abandoned by your father figure as a child and then you pick men that always leave you or they're always in a long distance relationship with you or they always have to go and they come back and you never know when they're coming back. Much like your little child sort of sat on the step of a house like waiting for dad to come and pick you up on Sundays and is he going to come? Is he not going to come? Do you think it's fair to say that there is like a tie between surrendering to the abandonment wound and the father wound.
1: 100% Louise. And this is why we see it so often in women rather than men, because men are not conditioned to ask for emotional connection. They're not conditioned to seek out a place where they can cry and be soft. So when you are emotionally abandoned as a little girl, it feels like such a bigger hit than when you are emotionally abandoned as a boy. Because you're already conditioned to expect those certain things. So that's why a lot of the time when we see these dynamics, and I know, like you said, it can be applied to same-sex relationships, but when we usually see this cat and mouse dynamic, we do see it with women and men predominantly because men will be okay on their own. They've learned to isolate so much. They are already in environments that are super masculine where emotions are not expected. Thinking back to the father women, as women, as mothers, we create family dynamics based on societal norms that allow dads to step out. Generationally, women have been the main caregiver whilst the father was the protector and provider and went out to earn the money. So if the baby cried, mum would pick the baby up. If babies diaper needed changing, nappy needed changing, mum would do that. We've always given men room to step out. If there was an argument, mum wouldn't leave, dad would leave. She would stay with the children. So naturally, when we go through divorce and separations, it's easier for dad to leave the home rather than mum to sort of take the children out of the home or change schools or whatever it might be. So we've actually given fathers so much room to go to leave to step out and not even just the families that have been severed and broken down in our day-to-day lives. If mom had an unsafe relationship with her dad and so on and so forth all the way back generationally, mom already is breeding a space in the home that doesn't trust men and that I'll do it. Don't worry. Mom, where's my uniform? Mom's going to iron it. Don't worry. Mom is always fulfilling that role of safety which teaches us that men are unsafe. Even for myself as a parent, Louise, if my daughter was in trouble, I would not trust her dad to get there first. I would go first because my mom's lack of trust in men is in me genetically. You know, and she had a great father, but it stems from this feeling that women are more competent, more capable in the home as mothers to the abandonment wound. The overcompensator doesn't surrender. They don't want the wound. No, no, no. We're going to be in love and we're going to be happy and I'm going to change everything to make that work. But the person who surrenders to the wound is saying, I know I'm afraid here in this space. I know I need more. But like you said, they will be around the people that allow them to recreate the experience because it's on a subconscious level. The body and mind does not wake up every day and say, how can I make Louise happy? How can I make Stephanie happy? It says, how can I keep them safe? And when we say safe, we mean familiar. So we go for the familiar because we want to show up in that space to stop the wound from taking over us. So that is why we are naturally attracted to people who, as you said, are non-committal. They are already taken, already in a relationship. They have children, young children. When we think about red flags, you can go on social media and every single post will you red flags and green flags. Your red flags are not going to be the same if you have an abandonment wound to if you have a emotional deprivation wound. Your red flags are not going to be the same if you are in certain dynamics that don't feel similar to another person's. So everyone has their own red flags. Now, when we look at the danger flags for surrendering, what you need to be asking yourself the moment you meet someone, where do they go when they have free time? How do they self-regulate? Is it drink? Is it drugs? Are they someone who doesn't stay with themselves when they are feeling low or when they need an escape? Another one, what is their experience of relationships? Are they always telling you how their exes are all psychos or never really been in a long-term relationship? Again, long distance. There's nothing wrong with long-distance relationships if the connection's maintained and the connection is reciprocated. A long distance relationship with someone who's emotionally unavailable is hell on earth because they're going missing. They're not answering their phone and they've created a dynamic where they can blame the distance. Someone who's immature, someone who has Peter Pan syndrome. So if you meet a guy and you don't always pick up on the red flags, you meet a guy and he's like, yeah, I do this and I do that and I I end up going out with my friends and you ask the question, what are your sort of long term goals? And he's like, no one's going to take away my freedom. Ha <laughs> ha No one's going to put shackles on me. Ha. Look at where they're joking and laughing. Look at what their general consensus about life and freedom is. They see relationships as threatening. It keeps them closed in. That is not your person because they are going to consistently abandon you when they need to. And that will make you feel like you are not getting that love that you need. Again, we have to keep stressing in this podcast, Louise, That. An abandonment wound is not never having an emotional connection with a parent. It is having an emotional connection and having it taken away. So these people are going to be deeply in love with you. And then they're going to go missing for three days on the weekend when they're drunk. These people are going to be so obsessed with you, but then you haven't met their family. So you're getting a certain level of connection and love. You're just not getting full commitment, the full story, the full settling down together and and committing.
0: Yes. And I think one of the things that I've learned about surrendering is that if you surrender to this abandonment wound, it basically becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it like reinforces the idea that you have that like others will always leave in the end. And another thing that I think is so important to understand if you surrender to the abandonment wound, which is really sad actually, when you put it like this, is that often people give in to this belief that People will always leave in the end because they believe deep down that they're not really worthy of anyone staying. The connection between surrendering to the abandonment wound and low self worth, even the defectiveness schema, which is that, you know, no one will ever love me. No one will ever truly love me because I'm flawed at my core and no one will ever stay and everyone always leaves. I think that that point around like low self worth is what keeps people in. The surrender trap of abandonment, you stay because of the low self worth, the belief that you think you're worthy of being abandoned because someone abandoned you in your childhood.
1: That's really, really sad to say. But do you think that that's true? This is why I say look at your story, look at the facts of your story, look over your life, look at your relationships, look at your patterns, take some ownership, take some accountability. We all have to. I have. You know, it was so easy when I separated my daughter's dad to blame him on all of his bad traits, or all the bad experiences. But actually, I played a huge part in that. And I played a huge part in all of my situations where I've lost people or let people go. And part of this growth, part of that is because I've done the same. I've counterattacked or I've surrendered. What we have to remember, someone who is an overcompensator is going to be addicted to attention. Someone who surrenders is going to be addicted to hope. They are going to constantly live in the hope of getting more, giving more. The overcompensator is giving more. I don't need anything from you because I'm giving it all. The person who surrenders is going to go, please give me some more. Please give me some more and be hopeful when they get flowers or be hopeful when that person celebrates them in some kind of way. These are not relationships where you enter and the person just treats you like crap. That doesn't happen. You're treated amazing. And that's why at the start of the relationship, you don't need a program, an abandonment program. You don't need to listen to this podcast. You don't need therapy because you're like, he's emotionally available. He's communicating with me. He's great. And then Fred went on the line, he slows down what he's giving to you or she slows down what she's giving to you you're noticing they're not inviting you to certain places. They're not in your space as much as you thought. So you live in the hope that they'll go back to who they were. And going back to that original question, Louise, on is this linked to the father wound? Yes, because... Every time there was a dispute, every time there was conflict, dad got to walk out and leave. Dad got to take the space. Dad got to go and be himself. Mom had to hold down the fort. And that's why we have this incredible loyalty that stops us from exploring the mother wound because the woman who still went and put the washing on the washing line, the woman who still went and put food in the oven, the woman who still did the school run, even though she was crippled with pain and wasn't being heard by dad, still lived in hope we stay in the hope, hoping that dad will come home and make things better. And that's what we hope in that surrender space. Yeah, that point around hope, that
0: is so huge, isn't it? How you hope that the cycle will be different, but ultimately that person is just surrendering to the same cycle repeating that always has done. And I think that is, yeah, really beautiful and also really, really sad. So we've spoken through this concept of surrender and how we stay because it's reinforcing beliefs and it's often driven by a a low self-worth. Let's move on now to counterattack and how you can have this abandonment wound and you can basically counterattack against it. I want to know what counterattack means. Is it always aggressive? Is it always vocal? What's going on if you are counterattacking against an abandonment wound?
1: Oh, counterattack can just have so many different behaviors linked to it. Because if you can imagine, Louise, you are in a situation with someone who you are trying to feel close to. You are connecting, you're trying to be intimate. Now, any time the abandonment wound creeps in and gives you a little story or a little narrative, the overcompensator is saying, Why are you not talking to me? Did I do something wrong? Why aren't you coming to my house this weekend? The person who surrenders to the wound is accepting this really shitty behavior, the inconsistency, the way they're not showing it to them. The person who counterattacks says, I don't need connection. They deny their own need for connection and it's a really dangerous place to be in because they're going from being so happy about the relationship and the connection to literally withdrawing, pulling away or looking for faults. So that might look like going on Instagram and this guy that they've just started dating follows quite a few girls so straight away. They're like, they're building a story about him and they don't ask because the abandonment wound is too strong. It's already given them the narrative. Or it could be that they are fully in a relationship and they now think that the person is pulling away from them. They're not as intimate as they used to be, or the person is taking a new job and, and there's a different power dynamic in the home. It could be at the start of a relationship. Or it could be at the end of a relationship, bang in the middle, or it could just be when you're on your own and people are trying to get close to you. You are telling yourself that you don't need connection. And that's a horrible, horrible place to someone to be in because you shut down your emotions. You're not vulnerable. You're not asking for your needs to be met. And you're also not connecting with people on the level that you need to. So it might be that you are in a situation and the person cancels plans. You then say, I'll show him or I'll show her. You're not punishing that person for taking space or withdrawing from you. So what you're saying is you are not allowed to leave me or you're going to get this negative, horrible version of me. You give them this negative part of you where you are, like we said, attacking them. It's passive aggressive. Maybe you stop supporting them in something because they they took a day away from you. Maybe you stop asking how they are. Maybe you don't respond to their good morning text. Maybe you do something. That really shows that that person that they have pissed you off. But you do not say, hey, I'm really upset that you've pulled away from me. Or do you know what? You and I spent quite a bit of time together and now I don't feel as close to you. You will punish them. Maybe you went for a weekend away or you went on holiday and you felt so safe and secure and close and it's terrified you. So you get back and you don't make plans to see them or you turn your phone off for long periods of time. It's this feeling that that person is going to leave me. So I'm going to have to shield up. I'm going to have to armor up and protect myself, here. Whether that's insulting them, pushing them away. And you know what else happens when we counterattack? A lot of the time we will sleep with an ex. We will connect with another person. That form of sabotage, we will start to maybe put an ex on a pedestal. Maybe we will go back on our dating apps because we are literally saying, too scared to go over there. I don't feel protected, so I'm going to stay over here That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I think what I'm taking
0: from this section is that in the first episode, we spoke about overcompensate. It's like you're going to love them so much. You're going to hold them so close with love. Then in part two today we spoke about surrender, which is where you just like you lie down and you take it and you just hope that it's going to change. Counterattack feels a lot more like taking action, like coming from a place of pain, whether it's like hurting them, withdrawing ourselves. It's really like taking action. And I think it's so important that you reference this point about punishing the other because I think we've all been there. Like we've all punished a partner for something that they've done. At some point along the line. And then as we've become a healthier person, we can look back and be like, oh my God, I can't believe that I used to punish my ex for doing X, Y, or Z. Because when you're in a healthier place, you can look back and see it was just coming from your wound. You know, you can understand behaviors when you go on this journey. I think in the moment, it can be really punitive. You want them to like, feel upset and to feel something and to come back and say, I'm never going to leave you. You're the love of my life. Like please don't do this. Like I love you so much. So I think it's really, really interesting to see the roots of this slightly more punitive behavior.
1: Yeah, look, we're not always going to be these happy loving people who desperately want relationships and bake cakes for our partner. Sometimes we're going to be absolutely awful to be around. Sometimes we're going to be shut down, dysregulated. Sometimes we're going to be mean. Sometimes we're going to compete with our mother-in-law. Sometimes we're going to compete with someone's children. All of these shadow parts of you, this is what these conversations are about. We cannot sit here and honestly and openly have these conversations, Louise, coming from a baseline of perfection we speak about shame. How many of us have done awful, horrific things trying to get our needs met? How many of us, like we said, have sabotaged because we didn't feel worthy of love? I know so many people who sit there and they try and understand why someone has cheated on them or betrayed them. And there is never ever a reason to cheat on someone. You should have a communication and the skill set to be able to let that person know that there is something going on, but many of us don't. And so what happens is, You could have the best sex life in the world with your partner. You could have a great relationship. But if that person doesn't feel worthy of love, they're going to find ways outside the relationship to feel good. And that's what we sometimes do. We meet someone. We feel like they're going to leave. They're treating us so good. They're not treating us like crap. They're treating us good. We're happy. This is going great. And it's our own fear that makes us go, oh, this territory is too scary that we pull away. And we'll do something really silly. And then afterwards we go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And we want you to know that, again, holding space for that part of you. That's how your inner child learned how to cope. I'm referencing back to the first episode on this. When I said to you about the three children, say there are three children and mom's threatening social services. You're all going to social services. You're going to live with your dad, whatever it might be the first child is like, no, mom, I'll do anything. I love you. Please, I don't want to leave you. That's the compensator. The person who surrenders is going to say, this is just how my mom is. I'm going to relax into how she is and I'm not going to get too close or I'm not going to look for anything more from her. And the person who counterattacks is going to stand up and be like, I don't need you. I'll walk out right now. You're a crap mom anyway. You could find a way to feel safe. And that's what that, teenager or that inner child, that young child did to feel safe. And that's what you do even when someone is treating you right.
0: Yeah, I'm so grateful that you've just shared there that we need to approach this part of us if we relate to this part of the wound with compassion, because I think we can often feel so guilty when we've done things like this or we've acted like this. And we can really hate ourselves. We can be like, oh my God, I'm an awful person. Like, why did I do this? Why did I ruin this? But the truth is, behind all of these episodes or below all of these episodes is this understanding that these things were laid so long ago. And so often it is just your inner child that is reacting to the situations in the only way that they know how. And by listening to these episodes, by going on the next step of this journey, which we've created for you, which is linked in the show notes, you can help to unravel those beliefs and rewrite the responses that you can instead deliver in times of conflict. So you don't really self-sabotage or be really vitriolic or really hurt someone. You know, I've been in this situation before. I'm like, I don't fucking need you. You think I fucking need you? Leave. Like I can fucking survive without you. I make my own fucking money. What do you fucking do? Aggressive. It's just so triggered. And then at the end of it, you know, after the anger, what happens? You cry. Your inner child cries. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that to you. I'm so sorry. I was just, you know, it's like the bull or the birds that like puff themselves up in conflict, big and they're scary. And then afterwards you kind of come back down and you're just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't mean to do that. So I think it's so important that we treat that process with a lot of compassion. And I think that this brings us now onto the final way that people can respond to the abandonment wound, which is the avoidance of intimacy. I want to ask you, is being fearful of rejection
1: the same as being fearful of abandonment? How you have to see it, Louise, is that this abandonment wound has been a thread in your life for so long even if you weren't aware of it. And when you listen to these conversations or when you have these conversations with yourself, you'll start to notice it in areas and you'll start to then look at your own behaviors and you'll start to see where you have embraced it, avoided it. But the biggest thing here is that you feel so unsafe with yourself that you don't believe other people are safe. Love has never been safe. So if again, touching on this issue that if you never had emotional connection with your caregivers or the people in your life and you just had a physical, you are going to have to build towards what that looks like. People with an abandonment wound know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. It feels so goddamn good. And then it's taken and it's stripped from them. And they don't know why. So they look around and they go, it must be because of me. I did something. Maybe I needed them too much. So when you have someone who is avoiding, not even just an avoidant attachment style, but avoiding connection, that can look like, you know, an older woman sleeping with younger men because she knows that the younger men are not going to want a relationship. It could look like having casual sex. I'm going to give you my physical because my emotionals could be too much for you. You'll abandon me if I give you my emotional. It can look like, like you said, finding things in your life that give you a lot of control so that you're not exposed. How many of us have been vulnerable with a partner and then the next day we've been so afraid that that vulnerability would scare them away. We've gone super strong mode again, masculine mode again, because we are trying to let that person see that we don't need them. So avoiding connection, it avoids all of the overthinking that the overcompensator does, that the person who surrenders, all of the thinking that the counter-attacker does. Those are all huge thinking Places to be in that it's exhausting to be there because you're constantly micromanaging yourself. You're always hypervigilant, watching other people. The person who avoids that just goes, Let me dissociate. Let me shut down. I don't want to worry about what they're doing. I don't want to think about them. I've experienced love at some point and it's unsafe for me. Not even that I don't like how that person is with me because not all people are the same. I don't like who I am. I get too needy. I require too much. I give too much of myself away. So there are people right now who are not dating, not in love, don't want children, don't want marriage, who really feel happy in their lives. And it's not because they're looking at people and saying, you're not good enough for me or you can't take care of me. They're saying, I don't feel I can be with someone and not be the overcompensator or the counterattacker or I surrender. So sometimes personal avoiding is avoiding those Does that make sense? I don't want to counterattack. I don't want to overcompensate. They know their mind goes crazy about the other person. I I know you'll be able to relate to this as well, Louise, similar to myself. I am super independent. I I love what I do and love my career. I've been a single mom and entering into the dating world... To switch into vulnerability was too much of a dive. So I've done the long distance before and I've been the person who surrenders. Like you have, let me love someone from afar. Not because I can't love that person, but I don't know if they are this close to me. What if I lean into them? What if I have to give them too much? And that's what the avoider does. The avoider doesn't say, I don't want love because it's it's not for me. They say, I don't know who I'll become alongside you. So I'm just going to stop and not give anything. That is so
0: fascinating that the avoider doesn't avoid everything. You know, I was kind of coming into this thinking like, oh, they must not date anyone. They must not sleep with anyone. It's actually quite the opposite. Like you can engage with people, but it's just that you will avoid that ultimate fear of ever actually being abandoned. So if you're just sleeping with people casually, then you can never be abandoned because there's no expectation that it will be Anything more, or if you're just prioritizing your career right now, I think we see a lot of people, men and women doing that. And then one day, maybe they realized that the whole time they could have dated alongside the career as well. But when they were in it, they were like, nope, I'm in the career stage of my life right now is about building my career, is about building my business. And that used to be me. I was like, nope, I'll just do my business right now. And then I will have the love that will come later. So do you think it's fair to say that people that relate to this part of the wound, they find safe spaces in their life?
1: Yes. And they may not even realize it until they listen to a podcast like this. They may just be on a life path that does feel good for them. And they may stop and say, it would be nice to have some companionship. It would be nice to meet someone. But ultimately, I feel a lot safer where I'm at. And that's why even just dissecting your life and looking at your life patterns and and who you are and who you've become, it doesn't have to be negative. There can be positives to the abandonment wound in terms of you've cultivated these great things around you, but why should you have to sacrifice intimacy and connection and love? I know people will say, well, I don't mind having casual sex or I don't mind not dating and I don't mind this Of course, nobody is going to put themselves in dangerous situations if they don't need to. But if you could have something else, if you could have other experiences that are safe, why not explore that? Why not start that journey of healing? There are so many women who are actually happy being single moms because the minute the man's out of the home, they don't have to worry about another person. They don't have to be the overcompensator. They don't have to worry about what he wants for dinner. They can just rest into loving their child and people will go, You're a single mom, it must be exhausting. Yeah, I'm tired, but I was a lot more tired when I was trying to be in my abandonment wound with the father of my child or with my ex. So there are spaces where we have been vulnerable that to other people look like they may not be the best situation. Oh, how could you just focus on your career and not want children? This is what feels safe for me. This is what feels good for me. And there is no right way to live. There is no correct way to live your life. But if you have a skill set And you have healed and worked on yourself. And then you go back into situations and you go, okay, I know what that is. I know that that doesn't feel good for me. I know that that's a red flag for me personally. You then don't even have to consider the abandonment wound. It doesn't rule you. You rule yourself. When you are guided by a wounded inner child, a, a wounded little girl, all of your decisions are going to reflect this feeling of, can I be in that space and feel safe? Who wants to go through life doing that? No one. Everyone wants to be able to show up, take up space, articulate what they need, have that communicated back and be around people who are loving and caring with no plans to pull away from you. There are such amazing men out there, such great partners, such great women, such great people to be around. And we're not accessing them to the point where it looks like they don't exist because all we're focusing on are these people that feel dangerous to our nervous system. You can't access them. I get people saying, where are all the good guys? Where are all the good women? They're not looking for you. They don't want to be with you because they know when they get close to you, you will stop them from going to the gym. They know if they get close to you that you will push them away in some way or counterattack. So these people don't want a, someone with a, an abandonment wound either because it triggers their wounds. So it just means you're going into a space conscious, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with your ex, a lot of people. If you're co parenting, you still have to do the work because that person still is a part of your life. So there's so many areas, Louise, like you said, where you can be vulnerable, where you can show up. But why not allow yourself to be in every space and be yourself? I agree.
0: That's how life becomes more rich, not just connecting and thriving in the spaces that feel safe for us, but also learning to thrive in the spaces that feel the least comfortable for us. And it feels so uncomfortable like, oh my God you're like, I don't want to work on this. Why would I work on this? And this is why so many people never work on their wounds because it's difficult, right? If you are listening to this episode, like bravo to you, because there are so many millions of people who will never change, will never self-reflect, will never grow. And you are not one of them. By being here, by listening to this, by investing in yourself, by investing in the program that we've created for you to heal this abandonment wound, you are ultimately going to go through the discomfort so you can experience so much more comfort on the other side. I am in the healthiest relationship I have ever been in. I do not feel scared he's going to abandon me. In life, in general, or on a night out, my abandonment wound has been healed at its core because I feel safe in myself. I am no longer scared that someone else can do something to me that is going to rock me at my core. And if my partner turned around tomorrow and he said, hypothetically, I'm going to abandon you, I'm going to leave you, I've met someone else, I would be sad. Of course, I would be sad. I would be so sad. But deep at my core, I know no one can abandon me. And I never felt that way before. Louise, that would be hysterically crying on the floor when my ex-boyfriend tried to leave, literally not able to speak because I'm like (laughs) begging, please don't leave, please don't leave. That girl doesn't exist anymore. That girl doesn't exist anymore because I have healed my abandonment wound in therapy. And that's why we've created what we've created because it cost me thousands of pounds to go to therapy. It was the best fucking thing I've ever done in my whole damn life. But
1: so many people don't have the resources that I had. So that's why we've created this, right? Yeah, and being able to show your inner child that there's something different, holding her hand and saying to her, look what I've found for us look what I've created for us and even if your inner child says to you but what if he leaves Louise you saying to her we're going to be absolutely fine exactly and I think that's
0: the perfect place to wrap up this episode I am so grateful for you supporting me on this two-part Abandonment Wound episode it's been something I've been meaning to do for a very long time I'm so glad that now is the time to be able to bring this to the world I'm so grateful for all you have shared. The way you bring things to life with real life examples makes everything relatable, understandable. And you take, you know, psychological constructs and concepts, schema therapy, so many different types of therapy that you've studied. You bring it to us in such a safe, simple and loving way. So thank you, Stephanie. I'm so grateful for you being here and I will talk to you very, very soon.
1: Thanks for having me, Louise.